Hello, friends. Welcome to Mr. Rewatch, your Mr. Robot recap show, brought to you by a stand-up comedian and a depressive hacker. I'm Devlin. And I'm Aaron. What's going on with you? Well, so I had a, I had a minor miracle uh, occur in my life. A minor miracle? Okay. So remember I told you how I nursed my mushroom farm along and then I killed it? We've been hearing a lot about this mushroom farm. You guys are probably all sick of me talking about this mushroom farm. <laughs> so anyway, I neglected it for two weeks. And then I was like, you know what? I should I should throw it in the compost and get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And when I turned it around, I had a whole pound of beautiful, giant, white oyster mushrooms <laughs> like that had just like grown out of my neglect. Wow. That's just like my life. So, yeah. So something beautiful <laughs> will come from your haphazard, neglectful <laughs> lifestyle. <laughs> I think that's my inspirational message for all of you today. So what do you do with the mushroom now that you've got it? Well, you know what? I want to make something really good with them, right? Because I grew them myself. I mean, and by that, I mean, I left them to die. Uh, So, you know, maybe risotto, like maybe something nice, you know? Because I guess you only have like so much time to use them. Yeah, they're good for like a week, maybe, right? So I got to cook them like tonight. You're going to be eating a lot of mushrooms. Well, I ordered two more farms. So stand by. Stand by. So I like about this episode, we've been highlighting a song from each episode. Um, there is, just because I love trashy 80s things, uh, there's like a real winner. And it's also another Back to the Future reference right at the beginning, uh, Back in Time by Huey Lewis in the News. So this episode opens up with a flashback to what looks like some kind of weird death party. I also interpret it as like a living wake, like a party for someone who is dying, but they want to be there to celebrate it with all their friends and family. Living wake is going to be what I call my band. (laughs) Yeah, I would buy a $12 to $14 ticket to the performance. (laughs) So um, I, I think actually that this is the same child actress who was in the Red Room scene. Do you think that too? I did, and I like that she's getting some work on this show that's probably less creepy for her. <laughs> um, so yeah, child Angela, because this is a party for Angela's mom. Yeah, and I think that the guest stars that they have playing those two characters actually kind of did a killer job here. The mom is really well cast, and she does a really excellent job, I think. Do you recognize the mother from anything else? I, th- I feel like I do, but I couldn't, uh, didn't remember. I didn't, but you know who I recognize from something else? So I just put it together that the actor who plays the lawyer mm-hmm. also plays Mindy Lahiri's mom in the Mindy Project. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I yeah. So yeah, we're all nodding. We're like, that's right. That's her. <laughs> She's so funny in that show. She's excellent. So the lawyer is also at the party um, and it's very uncomfortable. Angela does not want to talk to her mom at all. So I'll call him Mr. Robot, but, you know, Mr. Alderson uh, in his lifetime is trying to encourage Angela to approach her by saying, you know, if it were me, because remember, he knows this is him. I would really want Elliot and Angela to come talk to me. So he tries to coax her. And he also says, you know, if there was ever a time that comes when I can't be there to help Elliot, tell me that you'll be there for him. And that's so ominous knowing the way that she, you know, quote unquote, helps him. In, in the present day where we're watching the show. Right. So she does end up going over and speaking to her mom. And she kind of has like 
she she sounds kind of brutal at first because her de- description of her mom's death uh she just says like you're not gonna be able to see us anymore i know what death is i think you need to be realistic about it but the mom kind of has some uh like different thoughts on it well the mom i can't tell if it's you know and i'm sure when you're when you're dying your perspective becomes different but she sort of is like pre-white rosing her where she says you know i don't believe that death is the end i believe there's a world beyond this world where you know, we'll play together and dance together and be happy together. Will you believe with me? So also using like verbal cues that call back to the way White Rose gets Angela on side, which also makes me wonder if White Rose really has anything to offer Angela or whether they are a master manipulator. Well, that that does raise a question here because they have uh, an anonymous benefactor who's helping with this lawsuit. And do you think that's White Rose? I think that's who it has to be, but I'm not really sure. That was also my assumption. So there's an anonymous benefactor. This is what the lawyer is there to tell Angela's mom that has offered to pay for her medical treatment that she's now refused. So she's decided that she just wants to pass away. Um, I did think it was White Rose because part of me thinks that White Rose, as vicious as she can be, or as especially in the Zhang role they can seem, part of me thinks they are honestly guided by a thought that what they're doing can improve the world and perhaps end the need for us to die. Yeah. Because part of me thought, I was like, oh, is, does Terry Colby have a secret conscience? <laughs> I highly doubt that. I can't think of anyone else who would be the benefactor unless they're introducing a new character to us, but my gut told me it was White Rose. Yeah, who knows? So at the end of the scene, there's kind of a very abrupt transition back into present time. And this picks up right where Angela had confronted Elliot at the end of the last episode. But before we get too far into this, I think um, uh, I think that what they're trying to portray here is that Angela was imagining this point in her life when she was interrupted by Elliot. And I think that something that's in that bag made her made her think of this. And that's also like why she had the emotional response to it. Oh, that's an interesting thought because this would have a very strong emotional response for Angela. And you can see she's in a bit of a daze through the rest of the episode. Angela is really pushing on Elliot, telling him that we need to let today happen. So all the casualties, everything else, that we need to just let it go. Well, remember that from her perspective, she's under the impression that the buildings are going to be evacuated and nobody's going to be hurt. That's actually one of the things that she tells to Elliot to try and push things along. This is also Elliot's moment to confront her about how she has been manipulating him and using him to further her goals. And I don't think he gets any satisfaction. And this is also happening in the midst of the the ongoing riot in the building. Uh, I was also really afraid when I walked into the other room in front of like the full height window. I was just like, Elliot, you do not have a good track record with those things. Be careful. (laughs) (laughs) Don't give me another opportunity to use the word defenestrated. (laughs) It's also, I mean, the chaos around them. Like, and I love it, too, just because it calls back to that episode, which is so well done. Angela also thinks this is a net positive. Like, his revolution succeeds. He gets what he wants. The language she uses here is a very reminiscent of um, the ways Mr. Robot has referred to this revolution as well. Like, saying specifically that it, it is something they own, that they kind of have under their control. Elliot confronts her about White Rose. Yeah, and once again, um, he actually like physically grabs her and uh, restrains her when he's asking her these questions. So he's really like a, a little more assertive this season, I guess, in a way that's pretty creepy. <laughs> he must think she's out of her mind at this point, though, because remember she says, "No, no, you know, this is all going to be okay, including for your father and my mother." Yeah. So he must think she's totally lost it. 
So what I really can't figure out right now is if they're hinting so strongly at this parallel universe thing because it's just like inevitable and that's where we're going. Or if Angela has just been brainwashed and that's kind of like her her exploit and the way people manipulate her. That's exactly what I'm trying to figure out because I think in a way we would all be a bit disappointed or it would be really interesting if she had done all of these things that were really against her moral code, thinking they were for a greater good. If in fact she's been duped like everybody else who participated in 5-9, I'm really interested to see which way they're going with that. So Angela kind of, um, she doesn't really give him any answers to any of his questions. And she just kind of uh, like flips like a light switch. It seems like a totally different personality. She calls him Mr. Alderson and, you know, says, I'm not sure you're allowed to be in this building. I understand that you were fired this morning. And so Elliot also has to know that she was in on that at that moment, because how else would she know that he had been? Terminated? Oh, yeah. I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, so now Elliot just sees that mysterious red wheelbarrow barbecue bag. And it cuts to the red wheelbarrow poem. So... Which is, I mean, in itself, uh, sort of absurdist or abstract poetry, right? So, but, and also what the symbolism that ties into Tyrell. And Tyrell features pretty strongly in this episode. And of course, we were all waiting to see what would happen to him because he's so hopeful about a future that we know he cannot have. So let's look at some of the other characters. Let's go to the scene with Darlene and Dom. They're asking Darlene about when she met up with Elliot at Ecorp yesterday. Or was it, was it yesterday? Yeah, I... Sure. Sometime. Yeah, I feel like the timeline is kind of nebulous. Near. Could have been that same morning. No, it's that same morning, right? Because the whole exploit has to go down on the same day. Yeah, I can believe it. I don't know why I said that. Later in the afternoon, in the brunch hours, Dom is convinced that Darlene's keeping something from her. Which is basically correct. Like, Dom seems to have caught on to her. (laughs) Yeah, her instincts aren't bad. (laughs) But what, I mean, Darlene has always been, I think, willing to hand over Wellick. So she's perfectly happy to disclose that Tyrell is supposed to be at the Red Wheelbarrow and that the FBI should just move on him if he's who they really want anyway. Yeah, and the reason she knows this is that they happen to get a call from Elliot at that moment. He's warning Darlene about Tyrell's location so that they can try and interfere with uh, stage two. When Dom reports this to her superior, she gets some predictable interference now that we know that Santiago also works for White Rose. Yeah, and he actually kind of is the last person you want to tell this because he reports this information to Irving right away. Immediately to basically say the location is burnt and that they have to move to a different sort of plan. And they say they need to handle Wellick, which doesn't sound very good for him. Yeah, I, I assume anytime... Hand, the word handle always makes me think of Scandal. Did any of you watch that show? Where whenever Olivia Pope solves some massive political debacle, she's always like, consider it handled. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it, uh, it doesn't usually result in anything good. I do love the way the show is making use of um, news broadcasts that are just kind of in the background and in the periphery, because we do get to learn here that the U.S. actually just abstained from the China vote and basically just allowed it to happen without vetoing it, but they didn't vote in support of it. So I found that interesting. too. What difference do you think that makes? It sort of gives political cover in a way because they've just taken their hands off the wheel on it. This show does a really good job of tying into our present day political climate. And those are some of the features I noticed about this next scene that we get into. Let's get to our favorite frenemy duo, Zhang and Price. I love the scenes they have together. The characters just have such great chemistry. So they're at some... It's funny because I didn't immediately know what the place was supposed to be. It's washed in all this pink light and it's really tacky and very extra. 
And <laughs> I think you see like a Mar-a-Lago coaster. So that's where they are supposed yeah, to be. I love it. They make a lot of jokes about the owner of it. Uh, you know, you can watch and enjoy those for yourself. <laughs> Everything is done. Um, price. I, I think this is the really the only real moment of business here. He says that, of course, now, you know, in the eye for an eye deal that they've made, uh, China is expected to sign on to the economic accord that's going to make e-coin global currency. Zhang says, he doesn't say he'll do it. He says, all will be done by the end of the day. Yeah. And Price, he actually seems kind of surprised that this seems to be going down. He he has like a, he gasps when he hears it. I think he'll be surprised. I won, I don't think Price knows exactly what's going to happen yet. Oh, of course not. I do like here, it's a nice scene between the two men for as much as they try to screw each other up. They're like just gossiping <laughs> and being silly. And it's, I don't know, it's a nice acting moment for the two of them, I think. I really like how they have nothing to actually talk about, though, when they're not talking about politics. Because once the conversation starts to get super awkward, they're both just like, good. Um, once Price is out of the frame, uh, Zhang makes a call to Grant, his aide. Oh, is Grant their name? Or are you saying that's yeah. the verb? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I believe that's that's their name because I think their Twitter handle is something like Carrie Grant oh, something. Neat. Uh, I should have had the complete one before I opened my mouth on that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says that Wellick's location has been compromised. Zhang says that changes nothing. So in this episode, there are a lot of quick cuts between different storylines. And so we're going to try to kind of aggregate those into larger pieces to make it a bit more listenable um, and just for continuity. So yeah, we've done that on a few episodes before, but this one actually seems like it's even more complicated than the average episode. I think so. I think it moves really fast because they do build, it's very dynamic the way the story all comes to a head. So we're going to try to kind of organize our thoughts a little bit, even though this is not a scene by scene recap for you. Do you want to start with Tom and Darlene again? I do. So Dom and Darlene are talking on the phone. Piece of trivia for you. So Darlene is in the safe house working on a jigsaw puzzle. That's actually Carly Chaikin's own <laughs> personal jigsaw puzzle that she brought to the set. That's fantastic. That makes, I, I want to have a personal jigsaw puzzle. That's to, wholesome as hell. Yeah, right? Like if it were like a, a landscape, a farm maybe, <laughs> you know? Do you know about those jigsaws that are like 1,500 pieces and are all just white with no imagery on them? No, I don't. (laughs) That sounds frustrating beyond imagination to me. Uh, Dom is also frustrated. She again tries to get at Darlene by saying, you know, I know you're keeping something from me. And unless you have something to offer me, like we're not on this phone call. I think she's not entertaining her socially anymore. Right. She's kind of cutting that off. What was the purpose of this phone call to begin with, though? Darlene, she basically says, what is happening? I'm sitting on pins and needles. You've got to tell me. And Dom says, I, you know, I can't tell you. Like information really only flows one way f- to the FBI. After the end of that phone call, this is where Dom goes a little bit rogue. And I have to say, I like this look for her. <laughs> it is pretty great. And also, I just want to call back to uh, an earlier episode this season where I said that they were referencing Pulp Fiction with um in the scene when Darlene's wallet got stolen. Uh, in this scene, they have like an inventory of stuff that they had taken from the Fun Society arcade, and it's uh, listed on Dom's screen. And one of the things that they removed from there was a, a leather wallet that says Bad Motherfucker, which is the, the Pulp Fiction wallet. <laughs> nice. Nice. Good catch on that. It's pretty great. Dom says to her partner, whose name we learn, or at least I learn in this episode because I still don't recall what it was, you want to go get lunch? I like that 
for a change. He takes the bait and follows her. I like the like really intense uptake in the music, right, when he says, let's go get lunch. Because it's probably pretty hard to make like getting lunch sound so hardcore. I know. Like this is the most badass thing they've ever done. They could get disciplined for this lunch. <laughs> I think uh, getting lunch was code for physically checking out the building and of course, listening yeah. to superiors. Let's go get lunch at uh, Red Barbecue. Red Red Wheelbarrow Barbecue. Exactly, because that's exactly where they go and they decide that Dom is gonna go in. And her partner is going to stay in the car and monitor the situation. So because of that text that Santiago sent to Irving, they're aware that this location's burned and the FBI is on the way. So everybody is already in the process of leaving it, actually. Dom is on, uh, she's got her partner on an earpiece. And I like that she's just talking to herself in the middle of the restaurant and nobody really catches any of that. <laughs> it makes yeah. me wonder, you know, how much we don't notice in busy social settings. She doesn't see Wellick, obviously. He says, what are you going to do? And because I believe that Dom, like me, is highly food motivated, she says, well, I'm going to get lunch. <laughs> I guess she just needed a way to like kill time and hang out in there a little longer. Exactly. I mean, that, of course, is the real reason. So, And it gives her a bit of an opportunity to talk to. So it's the same eerily cheerful food service worker. You know, she asks how long it's been open, about six weeks. I think that's uh, like a, a bit of social engineering out of Dom because she's trying to correlate when this store opens with uh, like the timeline of the 5-9 hack. Exactly. So she gets that intelligence, finds out she's no longer eligible for the grand opening discount, unfortunately, gets her punch card and then decides so she has an opportunity to snoop the back of the restaurant that she's going to use the restroom. So she's snooping there for Tyrell, who... Well, should we talk a bit about uh, the discussion that Tyrell had with Irving? Yeah, let's let's get them to the same point in time. So remember that Tyrell had said to Irving, I can carry out this attack. I need the full force of the dark army behind me. And then you put my family and me on a plane to Ukraine where we will never be extradited from. That's Tyrell's expectation, right? Yeah, but what Irving says is that the situation is more nuanced than that. And it's so creepy because you know something terrible is about to happen because everyone else is just quietly <laughs> exiting the room, leaving the two of them alone. And Tyrell says, what is this? Yeah, he eventually kind of gets the picture. Not quite the picture we think he's going to get because Tyrell at this point thinks that he's going to die. And so do I while I'm watching <laughs> Yeah, it. me too. Um, and he's kind of losing his shit, right? <laughs> like Because I think he's held up his end of the bargain for them. Yeah, he's kind of like a Tyrelling it up. That's an expression we should use more commonly. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I just really Tyrelled that right there. <laughs> um, Irving says to Tyrell, I'm sorry. And then he reaches into his coat. And that's where I think for sure he's going to shoot him. Mm -hmm. uh, what he actually has is some instructions that he wants Tyrell to follow. I have some big questions about what's about to come next. But I'll leave those until we kind of further the Tyrell storyline. Now, Tyrell gets sent to a dark basement. Uh, this is actually the Dark Basements episode. <laughs> yeah, the there show. are a lot of those. There's a few creepy dark basements. Um, this is one of them. Uh, and you see him there burning the instructions that he received from Irving. So I, I suppose this is the plan for him. Yeah, he burns it by using what I think is vodka as fuel and then just chugging out of the bottle. Maybe that's a more appropriate use of the word, uh, of the verb Tyrelling. Tyrell, like just chugging vodka out of a <laughs> bottle, but he didn't smash anything or dramatically express his emotions. And I think those also have to be part of Tyrelling. I think that has to, <laughs> that's key. 
He's got, it's, I guess he's trying to fake that he's been held hostage there. So he clips one end of a set of handcuffs to, it looks like a cot or something. Yeah, that's how I interpreted it. And then, of course, starts the fire in a trash can. So now can we talk a bit about when Dom goes downstairs? Yes, because I think now we're, we're like uh, concurrent. This is super confusing. <laughs> you know, actually, Elliot says that at some point in this episode. He's like, I know, this is really confusing. Yeah, exactly. And it, it truly is. But I think we're... I think we're working it out. So you know how um, when Dom was talking to Zhang at the party in season two, I was saying that I thought Dom's character was a reference to Silence of the Lambs because they talk about being like a, a Jersey girl who grew up to work in the FBI. Yeah. I think this scene is very Silence of the Lambs-esque as well. Did you, did you see that movie? What's funny is many years ago I did, and I do remember there's a scene where she kind of goes through a dark passageway alone, and you just hear like her breathing really hard, and she's scared. And this, I think, is a reference to that. Yeah. So down here, she's trying to find out where all of the smoke is coming from. And is is it coming from Tyrell burning the note? Because it seems like a lot of smoke. It seems like a lot of smoke, but remember he poured a lot of alcohol onto it as well. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't like set himself on fire. One thing I like here, one of the things I dislike about this season is that the Dom character I don't think gets as much depth or play as I wish she did. But we see as she like busts through the door to go down into the tunnel, like she speaks fluent Spanish oh, yeah. to the staff. Like I was like, how many languages does this woman speak? Like <laughs> That reminds me of this actress, uh, Monica Bellucci. You know about her, right? I don't. Oh, well, she's great. I think she's, I think she's French. I shouldn't have said that. We should cut that out in case I'm wrong. But she speaks like several languages. She's super smart. The scene with Dom walking through the tunnel. So first I want to yell out, like, I, I just want her to put her back to the wall. Like the whole time I expect somebody to come <laughs> up right behind her and attack her. Yeah. Nice FBI training, Dom. Yeah. Yeah. Dom. Like, well, Dom's like really gone off the rule book for this one. Um, and then the way it's shot and the sound of her breath, because you can tell she's scared. I, I don't think my heart rate dropped for the last half of this episode. Super intense scene. They they find it. Is it a hidden door? Well, it's kind of I think so. Yeah. Yeah. I think she has to do a bit of MacGyvering to get into the area. Mm hmm. Dom finally does find the room and you can tell she's so hopeful this is the end, but all she sees Tyrell is fled. So I guess he's also in this underground tunnel network at this point. Um, she sees kind of the detritus and what looks like a hostage scene, but unfortunately, you know, there's, there's nothing. Yeah. Unfortunately for Dom, but fortunately for Santiago who comes there and just starts chastising Dom for breaking the chain of commands. I just want to say Norm is her partner. Because at some point she calls Norm for help. And that's how Santiago gets in on this. Ah, uh, cool. He looks like a Norm or like a Doug or something like that, you know? Uh, I, I can definitely agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Santiago, who of course tried to scuttle this. Oh yeah, I guess he was the reason why Tyrell wasn't there. <laughs> well, and he tried to... Well, and of course she's disobeying his order by being there anyhow. She just doesn't give a shit at this point though. Like she, she has a really intense eye roll for him at one point. Santiago, of course, knows that this happening means everything else is going to get worse. Uh, in a, the scene prior to this with him, he actually calls it up his mom. Oh, yeah. I was really wondering what that was about at the time. But I guess now we know that it's because they didn't want her to be hurt by this massive attack. Is that what you thought? I think so. Well, I either thought, you know, he's afraid she'll be caught in the carnage or the riots 
Or is he afraid that someone will come after her if he steps out of line from Dark Army? That was the first way I interpreted it, actually. I thought that maybe the mother is like the kind of leverage that they have over him because it still hasn't really been revealed what exactly Santiago's motivation is here. The other thing I considered is it's possible that this is a character development piece where they're trying to humanize him, where maybe he really loves his mom. I really like the discourse they have about shipping her in, sure. <laughs> yeah, they have same day shipping now, mom. Like where maybe he's just trying to protect her from a potentially frightening or potentially difficult scene if she were to go out and do her errands that day. So, you know, he's being a good son um, for what reasons, you know, I can't exactly say. Santiago's pretty pissed when he actually gets to Dom because she has no respect for the chain of command. But of course, in order to keep up the charade, he also has to say, oh, hey, this is actually pretty good agent work, though. But then he sort of dismisses her by saying that she should just go look at the evidence that they've collected. Although, and I thought he was kind of throwing her a crumb here, maybe to try to keep her off the trail, where he's saying, you're going to get the evidence, you're going to get access to it, you know, just go back to the office, like, but then, because I think, too, he does have to slap her hand a little bit. Yeah. So he sends her away and says, you know, when it gets to the office, you can sort it all out. Dom kind of takes the long way back to the office. She's walking with another agent, uh, I guess, to a coffee cart. Yeah, I guess so. I love that in this, like, economy, though, she still spends money on, like, stuff like this. <laughs> like, Hey, that's right. And I bet the coffee probably costs, like, $15 at this point. Can you imagine? People would probably still buy it. Cool. Um, Pumpkin spice. You gotta, gotta get it. You gotta get one. Sure <laughs> gotta get one. So Dom is at the coffee cart and then sees Tyrell Wellick running and screaming down the street, <laughs> stop the attack. I'm glad he didn't get shot, to be honest. But it must be really funny for Dom to be searching for this person for so long and dedicate so much time and resources to this and then find him when he runs to you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like well, this is the python. Like, she, you know, she waits. <laughs> he just comes across her. Good point. Um, he's taken down, it looks like, by just police that are in the area. Um, and he's screaming, you have to stop the attack. People are going to die. And I think what's really interesting about this is this is just a really nice setup. Because can you imagine the interrogation scene we're going to get to see with Dom and Tyrell in the next, hopefully, episode? I'm wondering if there will be another Tyrell episode that explores how he got out of the building. <laughs> the other question I have about him, though, is were these his orders or has he decided to sacrifice himself to fuck up the Dark Army now? Oh, that's a good question. I thought that it must have been the instructions. So my question about that, though, is so in let's say those are his instructions, you're to sacrifice yourself to create a distraction to let us carry out stage two. That doesn't satisfy Tyrell's ego. And I think his ego is so huge and also his need to feel central to this plot and get his vengeance on E-Corp and, you know, follow this mission. I just can't see him setting all of that aside somehow, unless the Dark Army also has other plans for Tyrell down the road. I think they must have other plans or they would just take this opportunity to like remove him from the picture. I think so. And also, I don't think it's his nature to do something altruistic. Like, I don't think, you know, for him to go to prison and now, you know, have to navigate that hurdle I don't think he's going to do that just for a greater good, you know? So I have some questions about his motivation and whether he's on script still or whether he's trying to sabotage them now because they, like E-Corp, have kind of used him and shunned him. So we got a quick Angela subway scene here. She's getting a sandwich. I guess it's funny. I thought, you know, after being in a riot. That was a joke, by the way. (laughs) 
getting a sandwich. She already has a sandwich. That guy brought her one, didn't he? Yeah, but I was I was making a subway pun. Oh. <laughs> Man, I'm slow today. She eats fresh. Uh, she eats fresh on her way home. Hopping on the subway after uh, being in a riot, you know, just like Monday, Monday blues. <laughs> so there are some ladies on the subway who are talking about um, moving in with someone. Moving in with their family to save money because the world's gone to hell. Yeah, uh, there was this one quote that they used about how it being best to pool resources. And I thought that that might have been kind of a reference to the fact that F Society and the Dark Army had to collaborate to get this attack in motion. Oh, that's interesting. I also thought it was like it's I mean, that was kind of the intended consequence of the hack was that people would have to kind of collectivize because we they wouldn't be able to be so individualistic and survive any longer. Mm hmm. I liked on the way here, you texted me, I'm on the subway across from two elderly ladies and I feel really nervous. <laughs> As you should, if you saw an F Society mask guy, I would have got off that car. I would have yeah. left. I'm starting to worry about carrying those masks around. Yeah, right now I just, I just put them in my desk drawer. That's, <laughs> that's where they're living. Because a masked man pulls a gun out and demands that the women turn over their purses. This was one of the shots that was in the trailer. And I thought that it was Tyrell, to be honest. But I guess we see here that it's totally not. The man then turns to Angela, and Angela doesn't cooperate. She hangs onto her bag, and he's screaming at her and waving the gun in her face. Yeah, and uh, what I infer here is that she's not giving up the bag because it contains that red wheelbarrow stuff, and that's very important to her. Oh, see, I didn't even think about that, because I thought... Did, did you just think she was being a badass? I thought, though, because of the line that comes next, she thinks that... She's done her job to set the universe right. And so now there are no consequences. That could certainly be it too. Because so the subway stops, the guy just runs off the train and the women say like, why didn't you just give him your purse? You know, you could have died. And she says, nobody's going to die. So I think she's in a state. I don't know if she's kind of out of it because of everything that's happened where she's thinking, you know, We've now unlocked an eternal life or some kind of reset on the universe where I don't have to be worried about what happens to me today because ultimately everything is going to be set right. So Angela's heading home and we find out that the storyline kind of intertwines with the scene that we saw Darlene in earlier. Darlene is tired of sitting in her safe house or maybe she's finished her jigsaw puzzle. I don't know. She kind of blows out of her house past two people who are there looking for her. <laughs> I, I kind of like that. It, was, it, it felt like a bit of comedy in a show that's often not very funny. Well, yeah, because it's just two, like, I guess, like, meant to be Girl Scouts selling chocolate or something. And she just says, not today, girls, and like, <laughs> runs out the door. And she's also headed to Angela's apartment. And that's where their two storylines fuse. Yeah. Darlene starts knocking on the door and she's able to see Angela look through the people. Angela, of course, does not wish to let her in, but <laughs> yeah, they're not, they're not really on the best of terms right now. But once Angela opens the door, Darlene kind of just storms right in. And Darlene calls her out for manipulating Elliot because of his mental health issues and using him for her own ends. And I think that's something Angela has needed to hear. Darlene also says Angela fucked them. And Angela, though, because of the because of her perspective at this particular time, says you know no 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 we're on the same side like she she still believes they're working for the same goal ultimately angela also rationalizes this further by saying that the building is going to be evacuated 
Cersei thinks that this is just a way for them to kind of deal the final blow that will take Ecorp out of the question. And that was interesting to me because at the end of last episode, I was convinced Angela knew the evacuation wouldn't happen. And so here, I don't know if she's lying or if her belief that they are safe, all the bystanders, if she's maintained that belief and then what she's she's telling Darlene what she believes to be the truth. That's a good question. Because when she was talking to Elliot earlier, she seems like a little more unsure. She was saying that these consequences will retrospectively seem justified. So maybe she thinks that the consequences are going to be so extreme. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. It seems like she thinks that ultimately, however this shakes out, there won't be that kind of collat- you know, euphemism of collateral damage where innocent people get killed. What Darlene says, though, is that this kind of stuff will haunt you. And I think that when she says that, what she's thinking about is um, Susan Jacobs. And I thought, too, even Cisco. Oh, yeah, of course. Who also... That actually makes much more sense. But I think she thinks about Susan Jacobs and she killed that woman. Yeah, well, I think that she's guilty about it because of what she said to the pickpocket on the train. Yes, I agree, too. Like, I think that weighs on her. Angela uses a line that Darlene's used on other people many times. She says, you know, what was your real goal here? Why did you start? Like, what did you really want? Didn't you want E-Corp to fall? Didn't you know it would be hard? And I think that's kind of a taste of Darlene's own medicine because remember, that's how she loops Trenton back in. That's how she gets everybody back to the arcade to get this thing happening in the first place. What was Darlene's answer to that? I don't believe she does answer her in this scene. Ah, so that's why I didn't write the note down. I was just hoping that you would have that instead. No, she doesn't say. What she says instead, and I think this is her way of cueing Angela in that she's working with the FBI, she says, I could turn you in, I could have you in handcuffs, you know, kind of basically prodding her to tell her why she shouldn't do any of that. But Angela just calls her bluff. Well, she says, you know, I know what I'm doing is right. And I believe she believes that. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's when they both look at their phones simultaneously because they have a revelation that Elliot is about to have. And so I think we need to cycle back to the Elliot storyline now. So we're back with Elliot and to try and thwart this attack, he's on his way to the storage facility himself. He gets let in because they've evacuated. They actually did evacuate the building. Yeah, that was good to know. And they're all being released back into it because, of course, he reported a bomb threat with no bomb to find. So when they sweep the building, everything looks safe and fine. He knows it's not, but the fire department's cleared it. And so everybody's going back to work. Yeah, he's able to get in by taking someone else's ID card. And I'm glad because that firefighter is kind of casually lecherous with the women's staff who are walking back in. So when Elliot steals his badge, I don't feel bad. Screw that guy. So Elliot is thinking out loud. He says, Angela has helped the Dark Army get their own malware with their own HSM, I believe, into the system. They, Does that make any sense? They duplicated the HSM, which is to say that they pulled the private key off of it that lets them sign additional code that will run on, these, on this hardware. Now, what follows next is really a kind of internal version of the chess game between Elliot and Mr. Robot who are vying for control over like the physical body that they share and about what's going to happen next in the plot. Yeah, because Elliot is able to get into a conference room and take out his laptop. And as he's trying to um, do something, patch, patch the EPS, I guess, to be honest, like they kind of do a, a bit of like uh, sci-fi in this episode. Mr. Robot interferes with this. Because Elliot kind of comes back into consciousness in a taxi cab that has a bowl of goldfish in it. I love this. I want some goldfish in my car. We also, clocks and time become very important. Elliot realizes, so it's noon. So the riot has all taken place in the morning. It's now noon. He should get one of those beeping watches. 
Yeah, like, did White Rose probably just got it off Amazon? <laughs> like, we can probably get a beeping watch for him. The guy at my work has one of those. It's actually very annoying. They would be, wouldn't they? <laughs> uh, I like here, there's a lot of kind of, I think, self-referential jokes about the show. Because, you know, we said earlier, Elliot says, this is fucking confusing, isn't it? Like, <laughs> I agree. And here he says, I don't have time for this. Why do we always cut things so damn close? <laughs> Good question. He kind of Tyrells his way out of the cab, you know, freaks out a little bit, gets her to pull over. And he also, like, causes an accident and hits his head in the glass. Well, because the cab driver, who's so annoyed, just slams the brakes really <laughs> hard and lets him have it. He gets out, runs, like, at top speed down the sidewalk. Now Elliot is kind of coming to back in that conference room. There's also someone else working in there, so this is really awkward. Well, he's in the conference room where he uh, was on his laptop a moment ago, but his laptop's gone now. So Mr. Robot has kind of sabotaged his efforts to stop the attack. And because of that, he goes to a different room, a computer lab, where there are already desktop PCs set up. So that's where there's the guy who's kind of weirded out by Elliot's behavior. When Elliot looks at the screen and says that the connection is closed, this is when he decides, because he and Mr. Robot have been trying to overpower one another, I think he decides that perhaps it's time to talk, which they begin to do on the computer. It looks like Notepad. Are they using Notepad? Yeah, do you remember when they did that with um, RT or whatever last season? Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're having a little chat. It's not going very well because when Elliot comes to, he's just finished smashing a computer and this poor sucker who's just working in there is like <laughs> flat against the wall and just runs. Yeah, he's terrified. This also signals to Elliot, though, he's probably got a matter of minutes before security is alerted and he's going to have someone on his tail. <laughs> Elliot's got an idea. And that idea is to use the building's own fire control system to prevent the explosion. So he's got to get down in. So again, this is the dark basements episode. He's got to get down into a dark, shady basement. And, you know, one important detail that we should have mentioned, there is a lot of tension in these scenes because Elliot, he mentions that the attack could still happen at any time. So he's inside this building that could explode. This episode is very thrillery. Like it, it just it's so intense. You just want somebody to like let the pressure off the viewer the whole time. And so as he goes to get to the actual storage room itself, Mr. Robot throws him down the stairs. At this point it looks a little comical to me, to be honest. I know it's supposed to be like interpreted as very serious, but I thought it was pretty funny. <laughs> to be honest, I thought it looks a bit like the boardwalk fail video. Like, oh yeah. It does actually, right? If because he cr he passes another employee who's down in the basement. Like if that guy made a phone video and just posted it on YouTube, <laughs> it would probably like somebody would probably put like circus music over it or something. Like, what's weird is that he doesn't really seem too phased by it. To be honest, the guy he encounters in the in the tunnel. Yeah. No, he acts like a man should be hurling himself into walls and running at full speed, and that maybe that happens there every day. <laughs> like he doesn't seem troubled in the least. When Elliot gets to the room, he's locked out because the security pass that he stole is no longer working. This is when, via the chat that they're using, Elliot is finally able to convince Mr. Robot that he needs to go look and see for himself that there are, in fact, no paper records there worth destroying, worth the destruction, and worth the loss of life that would happen with all of those people back in the building. There's really nothing to destroy. Why didn't he just, like, start off with that? 
That's a fine question. And probably a storytelling device, <laughs> to be honest. Oh, actually, though, do you think if he had led with that, that Mr. Robot would have believed it? Like, I almost think they need to go down this road of fighting it out for Mr. Robot to be ready to hear that. And he has accept evidence, it. though. Because he shows him the logs that indicate that everything was shipped out of the New York facility instead of, like, the numbered ones. You're right. Why didn't you show him that some time ago and save us, <laughs> save them all this trouble? Because... Right. By now, Elliot's pretty battered and bloody. Like it's been, he hurls himself into walls and downstairs. It's been a pretty rough ride today. <laughs> yeah. So at this point, Elliot's goal is to get into the more secure area of the building. This is also the point where Mr. Robot finally lets go. So he relents. And I think that's perhaps because he realizes his idea of this pure and perfect revolution has been corrupted and distorted to a place where it's almost unrecognizable to them mm -hmm. from when they started out on the 5-9 hack. And so he starts the fire control system. You see like sprinklers spring, you know, I guess, I don't know if it's chemicals or water all over everything so that the explosion's not possible any longer. I think one really interesting question, and I'm sure this is to set us up for the second half of the season. You know, Elliot says, okay, now that Mr. Robot has this realization, who is he going to fight? Is he going to keep fighting me? Or are we going to be able to be on the same side again, fighting against the actual, you know, forces of evil that we are confronting in the world around us? So I think that's some foreshadowing. And I think that's really interesting. One way that they kind of uh, visually integrate these two characters is with some really awesome camera work when Elliot's leaving the, the secure area. This really, I think, is the first moment of relief for the viewer in this episode, or perhaps in two straight episodes, right? Where... This was like a real Hollywood ending, I thought. Yeah, because so now Mr. Robot and Elliot are on the same side. You know, Tyrell is behind bars. They protected the storage facility. Those people's lives were saved. There's post-rock music playing. Yeah, right? So that's, that's usually a signal that everything's good. <laughs> so it's a moment of relief for us. And then Elliot is relieved, right? He thinks, hey, you know, I went through all of this horror and now it's going to be okay. But what he sees actually is that everybody's staring at their phone and they don't look too happy about it. No. And Elliot at this point is having this kind of internal monologue where he's wondering, you know, why did they try to go today? Does White Rose know something I don't know? And then he asks, does everyone know something I don't know? And that's such a perfect tie in because, of course, as you said, everyone is looking at TVs and their phones. Everyone knows something Elliot doesn't know. And this is the real punch in the gut to us and him. Yeah, because what we find out is that while this one building was saved, there are actually 71 other ones that have exploded. 71 buildings exploded or caught on fire. Thousands of people are expected to have died. And this is where Elliot's thought, he thought the facility was the single point of failure. And now he says, I was the single point of failure. And I think this goes back to, remember, this has been said in two separate episodes. You know, I could only see what was in front of me. I couldn't see what was above me. Oh, yeah. That's a nice way to relate that. I, I thought it was related to kind of like an overarching theme of the show, which is Elliot having, um, trying to do good things for people, but actually only making things worse. Like we saw him do with Shayla, I think that's like the prime example. Because I think that if they had actually centralized all of the documents in this one facility, that they only would have uh, destroyed that one. But because of his rerouting the documents to all of these 71 other ones, he's probably the reason why this attack was so much worse than it had to be. That's actually a really good point because every time it's like he has some um, like old curse on him. Like every time he tries <laughs> to do something good, it comes out so much worse. It's like a Midas touch except of like shit. Yeah, it's like a reverse <laughs> Midas touch. <laughs> yeah. 
So Elliot, poor Elliot, reverse Midas touch. Um, it's so devastating, like just the way the episode closes out on the coverage of the carnage and the destruction and the, well, the senseless loss of life, right? That's what, you know, buildings, whatever, but all these people are dying. So everything, of course, and it's happened so much in the Mr. Robot universe, everything we thought we knew has been totally upended and it sets us up for the next episode. And I have an exciting piece of information I want to share with you about that. Right now? Yeah. <laughs> what is it? It's not, I don't think this is a spoiler. So in an interview with Cora Dana, one of the writers, they asked him to say something about the next episode. Of course, they're all going to be pretty tight-lipped because spoilers are no good in this universe. Um, but what he says is something to the, I'm paraphrasing wildly, but he says, you know, the universe is very complicated because. <laughs> That's fantastic. I know. So I'm so looking forward to seeing Leon's, you know, lovely face. I think they were going to get a look at Transit and Mobley too. So I'm really excited. I know. I mean, and we'll see if Joey Badass has his eyesight. <laughs> I'm really glad that they got him before he was blinded. And so this is the end of the episode. Thanks a lot for listening to Mr. Rewatch. We recorded this episode in Hamilton. If you enjoyed this episode today, we'd encourage you to consider contributing to the Crash Override Network. This is a crisis helpline, advocacy group, and resource center for people who are experiencing online abuse. You can get involved or donate through their website, crashoveridenetwork.com. I'm Devlin. And I'm Aaron. Bonsoir. <laughs>